Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to Verchast, the flagship podcast of the Dynamic Island. Again. Again. <laughs> it's it's really the same show as last time. <laughs> We've just slightly changed it a little bit. And now everyone has to just, as a group, agree that it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the island's the so most important. it has ever been. <laughs> I'm your friend, Neil. I'm here. David Pierce is here. Hi. We're all in the studio. This We're is all exciting. together And you're studio. back. The rage... That people have felt about how long you've been gone, you know, I, I cannot describe to you. I am not people. Just to be clear, <laughs> yeah, David's like, totally fine here. Alex Trans is here. I'm okay with Neil being back. Okay, yeah, you're sort of whatever about I'm it. Happy. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice that we're all in the studio together. It is nice. I agree with that. We're gonna talk about some phones. Yeah, talk about some some stuff that happened this week that aren't is it phones? Like it's good times. I'm excited about that. I can spend hours talking about my newfound ability to crimp Ethernet cables, which is what <laughs> I've been doing in my new home. <laughs> That's what we're pivoting to. I That's... can just talk about that the whole time. The number of YouTube channels that are like extremely hardcore and they make a lot of videos that get about 40,000 views that are just about Ethernet. Yes. And it's, it's just a business. It's just an ecosystem over there. They're, they're not like huge views, but it's all very passionate. Oh, yeah. They're so earnest. It's like you're the guy who knows everything about Ethernet and no one has ever asked you one question about it before. <laughs> and now there are people who want to know. Yeah. It's yeah. like the greatest thing ever. Every now and again, you're like, oh, the internet's good. Like yeah. all these people exist. They've like built a little media ecosystem together. And if you happen to need to remind yourself how to crimp an Ethernet cable, they are there for you. That's why they're so good. I haven't crimped an Ethernet cable since I was like 19 years old working in the college computer lab. Yes. And I was like, I remember how to do this now. That's what I've been doing. That's why I have been on the show. We moved house. I don't have a podcast set up in that house yet where it's all happening. But I now have a Cat 5e line running from my office all the way to the Verizon modem. That's very exciting. And that took a long time to figure out. How are your 5G speeds? (laughs) (laughs) Are you doing surgery? Yeah. No, I've done a number of surgeries. Where's the banana? Yeah. (laughs) We do have a lot to talk about today that isn't just Ethernet cables. Addie Robertson's going to join the show in a little bit, talk about the Google antitrust trial that happened this week. And it is happening for the next nine weeks. The government is suing Google for what they claim is the illegal dominance of search and using the dominance of search to 
support its other businesses in ways that are illegal, paying for default placements, killing other search products left and right. We don't know what the outcome of that will be. We don't know if the government will win. They're not doing great at winning these cases. But if True. they do win, you could you could see a breakup of Google. And this is just happening very quietly yeah. in the background. We'll come back to this later, but it's been very strange to be here not at the Apple event this week. And there's this very, like— Cupertino-y thing that happens at the Apple event where it their Apple is very good at being the only thing in the universe and not being there just sitting here being like okay new phone that's a lot like the old phone biggest tech trial in yeah. 25 years <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we've just we've talked a lot about the one and not that much about the other so I'm I'm glad we're going to catch yeah. up on the, the, phone. the it it takes 10 weeks which is too long <laughs> like when microsoft wanted to buy a gaming company they did it in 5 days and we were all very interested and it was fine 10 weeks is just like can i how how long can we That's talk a about lot. search a engines? lot of what's happened this week is google's chief economist has been called to account for his emails from two decades ago. And it's like, <laughs> all right, this is all happening. We're covering it. Addy's going to join the show uh, in a little bit, talk about it in detail, and talk about kind of why it's so quiet. It is hard to cover this trial. Yeah, it is. But we'll get to that. We're also going to get to uh, the Unity drama, which Alex has promised to explain to me. I swear I'm going to do it okay. It'll be I, fine. It's going to be great. I literally was like, uh, you know, I was at Apple. And this was happening during Apple. D- during the event. Like, Ash was like, can someone help me do math? And we were all like, no math, only iPhones. <laughs> so all I know about this is that there are death threats involved yeah. in the pricing structure of a game engine. Yep. So That's we're going to get to that. People think that mad. seems very important. But let's start. It It is sort of the end of iPhone week. There's a lot of what you might think of as pickup news. Like, we've just asked a lot of questions and we've gotten a lot of answers. Let's start with the enduring mystery of the Thread Radio. David, do you know what's going on with this Thread Radio? No. (laughs) (laughs) So this is sort of my favorite part of the iPhone launch because there's that like 36 hours where it's just infinite numbers and information and videos to watch and all kinds of stuff. And then everybody kind of takes a deep breath, gets on a plane, and you're like, wait, what just happened? Yeah, <laughs> and and you guys were talking about this on the show on Wednesday, the like enduring mystery of the thread radio. And Jen Tui and our team did a really good job of basically running down all of the possibilities. One is that there's a sneaky smart home play that Apple is going for here, where you could use your phone as a thread border router to connect directly to all your devices. One is that even Apple isn't really sure what it's doing. One is that it got it for free with the chip that it's doing Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on. I think all of those are totally plausible. We have no idea. Yeah. I will say the thing that has jumped out to me is uh, I put exactly no credence behind Apple saying, well, you don't know what's like, of course, that's what Apple's going to say. Like, (laughs) Apple is going to come out a year from now and pretend that it invented Thread and have some (laughs) cool feature, right? Like, that's how this works. But the other thing that I keep thinking about is, like, Apple has made very clear to us over the years that it hates Bluetooth in so, so many ways. Yeah. And I think it can't replace Bluetooth for things like headphones. But it can absolutely figure out how to replace Bluetooth for connecting to your other devices. And it has the ultra-wideband chip. It's doing all this stuff. But if you can use Thread as just like a free way to get rid of this awful power-hungry standard that no one really likes, that makes a lot of sense to me as a thing Apple might do. There's a long road to get there. You have to put yeah. it on all the devices. You have to put it on all the phones. But like, if you were going to start somewhere, it makes sense to start with the iPhone Pro. It makes sense to sort of slowly trickle it out. And then in two years, they're going to have a big smart home event and tell us all the cool things they've done with Thread. Like, I can see how we get from here to What there. would the cool things be? Just like this turning is, off bulbs? Yes. yes. What are the cool things? 
I mean, I like to turn like using thread is nice to turn off bulbs. I enjoy it as yeah. much as you can enjoy <laughs> doing that. But like, no, the, the the answer is we made the smart home work. Right. Like if I'm Apple, I'm looking at matter being like, well, that's a gigantic disaster. We'll figure that out eventually. Matter is the long term answer. It's not the short term answer. But what Apple can do is come out and say, like, we now have a solution in which you go to your iPhone and you hit the button that says turn my lights on and it connects to the lights and turns them on. No other steps. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful and would mean things to people you don't have to worry about your hue bridge you don't have to make sure that your network is working you don't have to like you just you have a device that device is over there you hit a button it turns on and that's it an apple story without right needing wi-fi right which you is the best part but, but of again breaking. here's my right. question and I, I i believe you that it is unlikely that apple announced it without a plan but it's weird that they announced it without a plan well, they didn't announce it, though, right? They did. It's on the. It's yeah. during the keynote it's in, the, in bento. the bento box, and it's in the press release. Yeah, but that's they like, could have just not told anybody that's about fair. it. But also, that's do you remember fair. when they they upgraded the home app and they were like, "It's for future architectural improvements." <laughs> the hell does that mean? Like, Apple. I think I really genuinely believe Apple thinks the smart home is for nerds yeah. and is just like very slowly building up a thing that at three years from now they're going to be like, "We've invented the smart home," and it starts. In that little radio. It's going to be like a slow zoom on a a light bulb and then it just pops on. Yeah, right. (laughs) And we're going to be like, wow. No, 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 no. no. This is what's going to happen. They built that entire house that they do their announcements in at WWDC, right? They're like Apple's smart house where like beautiful people are doing beautiful things all the time. And like someone's making a pancake and a HomePod mini is like opening a garage. Like they they can't retcon not having done that. They absolutely can. <laughs> they <laughs> absolutely can. <laughs> there will be a birthday party. The lights are going to pop on. And everybody's going to go. Yeah. We've got a number of emails uh, with thread theories. I think the most interesting ones are all about local connectivity. A lot of people think, will this be better for connecting to smartwatches or AirPods? The answer, and you should read Jen's piece. We'll link it. It's very good. She basically ran everything down, as David said. And she's got a bunch of actual reporting from people at other companies who use thread. Like, Google product managers are in this piece talking about what they would put Thread in a smartphone for, which is really interesting. So go read that piece. But basically, the bandwidth of Thread is not going to let you build that like tiny personal area network that people are talking about at this moment. And then there's a lot of like, is it for presence detection and all this other stuff you can think of? And the problem with that is that Bluetooth low energy does exist. It does. It, it's it, still there. It is there. It, it does that job actually quite well. And so you're you're just in this weird place where you have ultra wideband, you have thread, you've got BLE, and everyone's like, well, maybe we'll use this one to do the thing that that one's designed for. Like, have you seen these new, uh, uh, how do you pronounce this company? Aquara? Oh, Aquara? yes. Aquara? They've got the presence yeah. sensors yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. And so they have basically UWE presence sensors, and they can tell where you are in a room. Like, you can set them up, it'll map out the room, you walk into the room, and beyond just there's motion in the room, turn on the light. It's like, I'm at the desk. Yeah turn on the desk light because I'm at the desk. And when I leave the desk and go to the couch, turn off that light and turn on this thing. Now that's terrifying. I was just thinking how I was like, I need to go get that sensor. Uh, yeah. There's a, I, I, you, you go watch the videos of people using it. It's so cool. Yeah. And like, it is a big unlock. Again, Jenna's written about all this stuff. It is a huge unlock for smart home ideas because knowing you're in a room is actually not that useful. Knowing where you are and what you might be doing in a room is very useful. But then you have to tell computers where you are and what you are doing in a room. 
and then the computers will know and store that data. And Or you can use Home Assistant, and then a lot of that data and stuff is not stored yeah. by the companies. Instead, it's just your data. I, you... Plex, Home Assistant. I'm I'm out there. <laughs> I'm out there at the edge. No one's got my data. Literally at, on the edge. Yes, on the- <laughs> but anyway, so all this stuff is just all these these kinds of radios. The blurry lines between them are ever more blurry. Yes. And Apple in the in the phone has all three of them. The, you know, there's a second gen ultra wideband chip in these phones, and then there's just th- it, it's like I know they didn't announce it without a plan. I know there's a plan they're not telling us. Yeah. But the announcement is an announcement without a plan. They're going to announce That's, it like dubbed up. If you just got it for free with the chip, you don't put it in the bento. You let like I fix it, open it up and be like, oh, weird. There's yeah. a thread router in there and then never touch it again. And don't talk about it. Don't answer questions. Like we've seen Apple do this before where you're like, what is this for? And Apple's like, what do you mean? Like <laughs> That's all fine. But yeah, I, I think it's right that they're like they, they want to put thread in people's minds and exactly why that is. I don't know, but I think you're right that there's there is some kind of bet there. It's just a question of like how big and how soon yeah. we're going to see something out of that. And what what's fun for us is that Vergecast listeners, Verge readers, are they are as interested in this mystery. Yeah. Like this post like what is thread in the iPhone for is like right up there with like iPhone announced. Oh yeah. And it's great. Like that's why I do the thing that we do. Other stuff that we picked up, Lightning is not totally gone. Yep. It's still around. I mean, Apple still sells the ninth gen iPad. All the AirPods, except for the AirPods Pro, still have it. It does seem like we're gonna we're in for probably I don't know what would you say twelve months of kind of slowly wiping those things out. Like if we get to this time next year and there is still a single Apple device with a Lightning port, I it will be will very be surprised. It will be a budget iPad, and Maybe. it will be there for like three more years with the with the the pencil that you plug in. And then no, they're going to leave the magic mouse with the stupid ass <laughs> lightning port on the bottom just to troll everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that stuff is really interesting because those are wholesale redesigns. Yeah, you know, Apple's view of USB C is basically we invented this port; it's ours, mm-hmm. and it's, it's true. Yeah, with that first baby MacBook, of which, by the way, I got rid of them. Very sad about them when we moved. I was like, it's time. Ah, uh-huh. Dieter sold me one a long time ago. R.I.P. Terrible, beautiful computers. <laughs> The ultimate plain computer. I uh-huh. kept them in my house for years after they were obsolete, thinking, I will have these just for airplane rides. And then every <laughs> now and again, I'd be like, go on a long flight, and I would open one up and be like, this is so much slower than that. <laughs> this is yeah. so much ob- objectively worse than any iPad in this house, including Max's iPad, which is like lockdown kids mode. Did you put like Chrome OS on it? No, <laughs> I thought about it. I was like, I can just purchase a Chromebook. For no money. <laughs> and that's been like six hours. Yeah, like you walk into like any carrier retail store and you're like, I might upgrade my plan. Like Chromebook. Yeah. <laughs> Do you Risky want one? it at you? <laughs> Anyhow, Apple invented the USB-C port basically because the USB-IF was going down a bad direction and they wanted it for that MacBook. Yeah. So Apple's I mean, view Apple is Apple like, invented is strong, but it's not that far off. Like, well, it's like- it well, participated hard. Apple probably deserves more credit than any other company for the existence of USB-C, but like a lot of people made USB-C, which is why USB-C is good, right? Because everybody sat in a room and agreed this is the standard. We're going to yeah. live with it. Yeah, but like in that room, Apple had a knife. 
Sure. It's like it's like Google and Chromium, right? Like yeah. Chromium is technically an open source browser and you can do whatever you like with it. But someone from Google will stand outside of your house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, yeah. Like Apple's like, we know where all of you live. You yeah. have our phones. <laughs> right. We've handed your iCloud credentials to the Chinese government. It's just the thing that we've done. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. But anyway, so Apple in general is like happy about USB-C. I think they're not happy about losing their revenue. I think they're not happy about being forced to it because of the Europeans. But – you can't just switch the iPad, the ninth gen iPad to USB C. You have to re-architect that yes. product. So I think that just gets phased out. AirPods Max. Apple doesn't even acknowledge that these, this product exists, and I see more of them than anything else. Yeah, they're clearly very popular. Yeah. Always on the planes. Yeah, like I, I think that I need to buy them when I get on a plane. I'm like, well, everybody, everybody has them. I should have yeah. them too. They're everywhere. Have you ever stopped to ask these people? Like, so tell me about the case it came with. Do you use it? Yeah, never see the little purse. <laughs> never see the purse. But li- Lightning on the AirPods Max, mm-hmm. um, the regular AirPods. Li- I mean, this is a lot of products that need to be updated. I don't think it's quite as simple. That mouse. There are a handful of them that they can just kind of get for free, right? Yeah. That you just stick a new port in and it'll be fine. Like the the Magic Keyboard is a good example, right? Like changing that to USB-C will not be hard work. I actually think the base level iPad, I think you're right, is the most interesting one because – a, that thing is probably due for a bit of a redesign anyway. B, it's clearly very popular. Like Apple talks about that thing way more than you would think it would for like a pretty cheap entry-level product. It's clear it's a meaningful thing to Apple. And so I suspect that one is going to be the one that we see like look the most different yeah. and also come with USB-C. Well, and a lot of that was like they're trying to get rid of old inventory and stuff too here, right? Like that's why they it still has the the – dorky pencil and everything like that no disrespect some some disrespect some disrespect yeah (laughs) Yeah. so so i i do think it's gonna be a minute i don't think they're just gonna flip a switch because they do still need to get rid of all of that stuff yeah and that's why they're so rich now is because they're really good at like unloading old crap that (laughs) they're great at the iphone rich tim well i unloaded old crap but they they would like they they jazz it up like they put some makeup on like it they, they contour. Like, it looked nice. Wow. Yeah. The, the iPhone mini, man. It was That's gorgeous. True. It was device. a gorgeous old phone. Just like the iPhone uh, <laughs> yeah. It's now so dead. I just saw <laughs> so, one. So, 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 so dead. Our producer has one, and it's the cutest little thing in the world. Andrew Marino, our producer, just bought another one. Like a psychopath. <laughs> because it's about to be gone forever. Liam, our other producer, is holding on. God, the Fergecast. What a disaster of a show just this is. Just all minis. Uh, there's just iPhone minis <laughs> just all waving the way them at us. <laughs> Uh, they're the last this is like two. Walt Mossberg at the end of the MacBook Air run, he just bought like two of them. Yeah, yeah. to have them in case Apple screwed it up in the future. That's smart. I, I would do that. That's good. Uh, speaking of USB C in general, we've learned a lot about the port and what it will support, and basically the answer is everything. Like Apple did this the right way. Yeah, it seems to be. Uh, so uh, they backbone, had a moral obligation to David. Yeah. God. <laughs> That's what gets Apple to do things. Uh, So Backbone 1 controllers are just going to get upgraded, and they're going to work with the iPhone. And I actually saw some Backbone folks at the event. They were excited, and they were just handing out the Android Backbone controllers. There were a lot of games reporters there. Yeah. So that's cool. Like, it's cool that that just works. Apparently, you can plug in just sort of any USB-C hub and get, like, Ethernet on your phone. Oh, wow. Like, basically, anything that would work on the iPad Pro is going to just happen over here. That's 
cool. That's much bigger than I expected. When you're actually. at the office and you have the crappy Wi-Fi, and they're always the IT is always like, just plug into the Ethernet. And you're like, I hate you. I'm on my phone. Now you can just you be like, plug your phone fine. in. Fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how any of that's going to work. My experience doing any of this stuff with an iPad is always a little like, you just hope the you know the magic yeah. of the iPad magics yeah. at you. It's going to be even weirder with a phone. I, and, you know, iOS 17 is another bit of a wild card here. So, But theoretically, we have decks for it's the phone. just going to work. Yeah. I mean, the backbone thing to me is like the perfect example of how this ought to be. And I think it's very exciting where they're just like, oh, this thing that used to fit on these phones now also fits on these phones. And so it's going to work. Like this is the point of having a universal standard. This is why the EU mandated this. Yeah. This is why we were excited about this. It's like. It's going to be good for the accessories market. It's going to be good for users. But you're going to be able to share stuff with people. You're going to be able to buy things without that, like, does this work with my phone question, which is a really complicated question for lots of people. Yep. And, yeah, the fact that Apple seems to have gone about this about the most open way possible is great and, frankly, very surprising. Yeah, and they didn't nerf any of the charging speeds or transfer speeds. I mean, yeah. except the iPhone 15 is at USB-C 2. Well, yeah. That's... But again, that's like, it's good enough for most people. It'll be fine. I don't think there are that many people buying an iPhone 15 desperate for ultra fast yeah, like, data think, transfer speeds. I think those people are getting a pro if they care enough. If they know yeah. what USB 2 is, they're getting a pro. I yeah. think that's right. We should By probably... the way, the word pro means, I just want to be clear. My contribution to iPhone reviews this year is going to be just a little weirder because I have the code conference to deal with. Mm-hmm. and That's very distracting. But I'm like, what if my only contribution to this review is 2,000 words on the meaning of the word pro, a word that has lost all meaning, and which, in this case, for Apple, this year means good at video games. That's they don't what have another. Mean. They don't have another answer for it, which is wild. Okay, me. I see it exactly the opposite. We should get to Google after this, because yeah. this is enough Apple talk. But I think, to me, the fact that a big part of the way Apple showed off the Pro was by showing you how you can like rig up a camera in a studio and shoot to external storage. Like that's, yeah. that's Pro. That's how you tell a story that is different about that phone than the other phones. Whether that's like real and how people will do that. Like you were on the show on Wednesday making fun of the idea that you would like use your iPhone in a studio to take professional pictures. People do that all the time, yeah. dude. Like that's like life now. Steven Soderbergh's out here just like shooting movies on his iPhone for fun all day. Like it's a real thing. And the idea that they're going to take the Pro and like give it genuinely new things to do, especially as a camera. I think, like, if you want to tell a pro story, that's where you do it. They're like, we are going to turn this right. thing. Right, and I'm saying what they're saying is look at how good it is at video games. Yeah. Not that thing. I, sort of. I mean, they did a little bit of the other story. They spent way too much time talking about games. This is like <laughs> Apple does this all the time where they're like, they're like we made a phone. favorite thing in the world. Yeah. It's you're going to use it for games occasionally, so we're going to tell you about every single game that exists on the iPhone. So two things, and then we can wrap up. As always, I've asked people to email us if they're hardcore Android gamers. So we got one from Evan. He said, I am here to inform you that I've been gaming on Android for as long as The Verge has existed. And it's a long list of all the phones he's ever gotten. LG, Optimus G. He played Need for Speed on it. LTE launch. He's got Stadia. Anyway, this email ends with, I did just buy an iPhone 11 primarily to play games. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Yep. So well done, Evan. Uh, easily the funniest turn. It's a, it's a good long email. Easily one of the funniest turns in an email saying you're wrong about Android games. It was a very good email. <laughs> uh, and then we got an email from uh, Colin because we were wondering who would buy the Lightning to USB-C dongle for 20 bucks. Mm. 
And we hypothesized that some people would buy them for their cars. And he emailed us to tell us, yes, his friend is buying one for his car. He has a custom setup. And he, it's apparently easier to pay 20 bucks for the dongle than to tear open his car <laughs> and put in a USB-C cable. Custom setup with a built-in U- yeah, man. cable? That's yeah. incredible. Uh, I rules. love He's this He's probably guy. one of these people with like an iPad in the center of the car. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, Colin, we want pictures of your friend's car. So <laughs> get in there. Uh, but there are some people out there who are buying the dongle because they have basically fixed lightning cables. A lot of like coffee shops are going to buy the dongle. I also think a lot of people are going to buy the dongle because the idea of buying an entirely new cable feels annoying. And I'm going to spend a lot of time like running around to relatives being like, don't buy the dongle, buy a new cable. <laughs> it costs. It's the same price. It's going to be fine. Everything's OK. Like I'm, I'm going to end up with just like a giant, you know, bucket full of two meter long USB-C cables. And just every time I go into a room with family members, I'm just going to start hucking them at people. Yeah. That's Everybody's going to have a little rat now. tail on the, on the bottom of their phones because <laughs> exactly. they always have to have that, that dongle. Long, like people did with the headphones. Uh, and lastly, I'm just going to say this. I have heard that not everyone at Apple pronounces Heath. Whoa. The, Hef? There's more diversity of pronunciations Hype? inside of Apple Inc. Tell me more. Well, I was just like, does this whole company call it Heath? And then some people contacted me and was like, not all of us say Heath. You can't you can't share you like you don't want to disclose your short sources. No, this is this is some of the most sensitive reporting I've ever done. I, we appreciate it. And I'm just saying Heath might have been pushed out into the world, but it's out there now. If you're the one on, ca- if you're the yeah. one on camera, you get to decide you, and, how it's pronounced. And, and it's Heath. It's Heath now. All right, we got to take a break. That is enough iPhone stuff for a week. Uh, we'll be back with Addie Robertson to talk about US v Google, which is a big deal. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back. Addie Robertson's here. Hey, Addie. Hey. So there's a big trial going on in secret. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It's like the government does not want us to know that the other part of the government is suing Google. 
I think that's kind of true. I mean, I just think back to like the Sam Bankman-Fried trial starts in a couple of weeks and there's tons of people talking about that. There was the Microsoft Activision Blizzard trial. There was the Elizabeth Holmes trial. Like we've had a run of these very high Apple profile v. cases. Samsung. Apple v. Samsung. We've had a run of these over the last few years. And this feels by far like the one that is getting the least attention, despite being potentially like the most consequential by a million miles. Yeah. It's very strange. I think it's because Google's just really good at like flying under the radar. Because even with the the Google v. Epic. No, that's what I meant. I said Apple v. Samsung. And I, meant I mean, that one happened too. Yeah. <laughs> I meant Apple like, v. Epic. Like they all happen, right? Like <laughs> Apple v. Epic was a big deal. Yeah. Google v. Yeah. Epic, we were like, yep, now they're doing it. I mean, Google has also been trying to keep like as much of the trial under wraps as possible here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just. <laughs> Unlike their phones. <laughs> That's pretty good. So just to lay the stage here, then I want to add a talk about what's actually happening in the trial. It is impossible to cover this trial. There's no audio stream of it. There was an audio stream very briefly. Yeah, of, of just the opening arguments, but none of the witnesses. There's barely a schedule. If reporters go into the courtroom, they can't have devices. So they have to take all their notes longhand. It is just ridiculous. Yeah. Like the government might get to a place where it breaks up Google. And the process by which that is happening is basically impossible and opaque because we cannot just cover it unless we send someone to the courtroom every day for nine weeks to take notes with a pen. And a scroll. We are thinking about doing, and obviously other other larger competitors like Bloomberg and the Times are doing, but you just contrast that with all of the other trials. And for some reason, these decisions have been made. It's... I know. It's, I find it very frustrating, obviously, because I think about Google all day, every day. But this is the trial where, you know, Google putting out memos to its own employees saying, we do not use words like lock-in. Yeah. Or scale. Or scale. Yeah. Right? We don't use the word leverage when we talk about search. Like, they're instructing their own executives how to email each other. They're in trouble for destroying evidence in this case. Yeah. There's that amazing message where Sundar Pichai, the CEO, popped into a, a Google chat group and said something to the effect of like, we should talk about this. Can we turn off history for this <laughs> chat session? Uh, and then that's obviously the last message anyone can see. And yeah, I mean, Addy, my impression, and this is based on very little except just thinking about incentives here, is that Google has everything to gain from burying as much of this trial and process as possible, Right. Yes. I mean, with the caveat that it's not going to matter if the a judge is like, we're breaking up Google. Google Fair. is still getting broken up, even if it is in secret. <laughs> and again, to be clear, that's one of the less likely outcomes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think that it benefits Google to not have to deal with a lot of the arguments being made here, as it does, would for really most plaintiffs, like as it would for Apple in Epic versus Apple. And then there's also a lot of other companies implicated here. Like, obviously, this is about Google's deals with companies like Apple. And so Apple has appeared and tried to, like, it's tried to get its executives out of testifying. Um, so there's really just a lot of companies here and a lot of very sensitive information going around. And so on one hand, it's it's not really surprising that they would try to keep a lot of this secret. But on the other, it also means that you don't hear as much about what the Justice Department is saying Google is doing. Yeah. And the case fundamentally turns on on these deals, right? So the case was pretty wide ranging. It's been this has been going on for three years now. Yeah, it was 2020, yeah, the first 2020. suit was filed. Yeah. And so it's like all things as it approaches trial, it's been narrowed down to a handful of issues. 
the most, I think, important and relevant one is Google's deals to be the default search engine on the iPhone and other platforms. So, of course, the Justice Department wants Tim Cook to testify. And Apple's like, no. No, 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 no. We're not doing it. And but that makes sense. They want to do that. But just, again, I'm just coming back to this. Last This week, while Apple was announcing pretty light refreshes to the iPhone, that captured all the attention. But the trial in which the Department of Justice is saying the deal in which Google pays Apple money to be the default search provider on the iPhone is anti-competitive and illegal is like totally under the radar and impossible to cover. And I just think that's weird. I think there's also it's also just easy to be sort of cynical because we've been seeing these cases try to make a dent in companies for years yeah. and years and years. Like the there was this entire gigantic, ostensibly bipartisan tech lash starting in really about 2016, building up 2017, 2018. And nothing happened. Yeah, I just I think it's really easy to look at this and go, it is very, very hard to win an antitrust case. The Federal Trade Commission, which is not the one bringing the suit, but is which is part of the Biden administration's attempt to get antitrust to happen in the U.S., it has had a couple of really high profile losses. Um, Epic versus Apple really it means that Apple is going to maybe have to do something that Apple has been fighting tooth and nail to not do. But it's still basically determined, look, Apple can just charge these fees. I think that it's very easy to look at this and worry that just nothing's going to come of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like that—that that was what I was going to say. I think I think cynicism is is the right word here. People are cynical. Like we've seen this happen so many times, and you, not just in tech. You've seen it happen in a lot of places where it's just like, okay, so when is the government going to actually do something? When is this going to happen? We're just going to continue on, and this is like a really good opportunity for the government. And even the government seems like reluctant. Right. Like they could probably make this a lot more public. They could make this more of a show and it might be in their best interest to like get the public support behind it. But even the government is playing it so safe. You're like, if you're playing it that safe, are you really going to do it? Well, there are many branches of government. Three, I'm told. three. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, I don't know why the judge in this case, Judge Mehta, is logging it down the way he is. Obviously, Google wants it that way, and there's requests, and there's private stuff, but like, not having audio streams of the witnesses seems... I don't, I, yeah. I just don't understand that at all. And then there's the DOJ, which is, you know, they're prosecutors. They're not supposed to do it that way. Yeah, right? but... You know, it's like, I, there's a little bit of a gap there. The thing I would give you is, the same week, we did watch the European government successfully pressure Apple into changing the port on the iPhone. And that's a good outcome. And even in our videos, like our hands-on video, where we were like, Apple changed it. The comments are like, the Europeans changed it. Yep. yep. Like people understand the mechanism by which the change was made. Yes. Well, and that's what we've been talking about in the U.S. for the last couple of years, right? Is that like a, a clear part of the FTC, which again is not involved in this particular trial. But what they're trying to do is sort of lose in such a way that it eventually we have to legislate answers to this. And it's like what the EU did was make laws. Yeah. They like there was no big court case about the lightning port. They just made a law about common chargers. And it feels like that's if our right. if our no, system no, worked better, it might be different. But so the here. EU has made a lot of laws so about many. Google search. So many. They have done more aggressive enforcements about Google search than would ever be contemplated in this company. Yes. Down to designing the startup flow of an Android phone. And Addy and I have been talking about this for years. None of it has worked. Like Google is dominant in Europe. When you open an Android phone, it asks you if you want to use Chrome 
It asks you, it has a browser ballot and a search engine ballot, right? And no, everyone's just like, okay, like we're going to pick <laughs> Chrome and Google because I bought an Android phone. Like, what else do you think I'm doing here? Duck, duck, go. Addy, do you see any similarities between that version of the European enforcement, which has been unsuccessful, and what is happening in this case? I mean, that entire thing you've just said is kind of Google's argument is, look, even when we don't get the default placement, even when we don't do this thing that the Justice Department is saying is illegal, we win. So clearly, <laughs> we're just the best. <laughs> I just want to say that is my absolute favorite thing that has been happening in this trial so far is Bing is everybody's punching bag. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Google's argument is essentially uh, Microsoft makes Bing the default on Windows in the same way that we're the default in lots of places. And still overwhelmingly, people choose Google because Bing sucks. And the government's case is, well, Bing sucks and nobody uses it. And that's Google's fault. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's very funny to me that like, it's it's a shame that there's not a better product to argue about here. And I think it, it just kept coming up over and over and over. And like, in a funny way, if Google wins this case, I think Microsoft is going to have been a huge ally for Google in winning this case. Because what Google is saying, and Addy, I don't know if this was your impression, but listening to the opening arguments over an AT&T conference call, which was very funny for an antitrust trial, just <laughs> mwah, uh, but it, the overwhelming thing Google kept saying was like, we are not the company with infinite resources that is able to do whatever we want and outbid everybody to do everything because Microsoft exists. Microsoft is also a trillion dollar company with limitless money to do whatever it wants. They keep trying to put Bing in front of people. Windows exists. Microsoft has a long history of doing antitrusty things and Bing still sucks and nobody uses it. <laughs> and I actually think like of all of the Google arguments I have heard so far, that is by far the most compelling to me. I don't know, Addy, did you read that differently on the first day? Yeah. And I think that the Justice Department is trying to counter it by basically saying the reason Google is so good and is so untouchable is because we all agree here. Bing, it sucks. (laughs) 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 They're they're not that strong. But (laughs) uh, is that Google gathers has so much data from searches that it basically got this flywheel effect of just being able to get default placements. So then people type things into Google and then Google learns how people search for things and then Google could deliver better results. And then this just keeps going. And even though Microsoft has tried to do things, it's tried to set its own defaults. It has partnered with Yahoo, a thing that's come up to do a data sharing deal in order to get more queries, that that just hasn't been enough. Yeah. Yeah, One of the things that uh, Judge Mehta asked, I think like within the first hour or so of testimony on the first day was uh, he asked the the DOJ lawyer, how long has Google been a monopoly? Uh, which I thought was a really interesting question. And, and I think the answer was it has been illegally protecting that monopoly since 2010, which which assumes that it was a monopoly before that. Right. But I think I th- think of... he was saying it's been it's had really heavy market power since about 2007. OK. So yeah. I think, and then, yes, it's been illegally maintaining the monopoly since 2010. Right. And so that's that's the DOJ's argument. But what I think is really interesting there is like obviously Google came out in 1998 and no one is debating the fact that Google at least for a long time, was vastly better than everything else and won purely on the merits. And then what we're debating now is, did it go from winning on the merits to buying merits <laughs> and essentially <laughs> making it impossible for anyone else to do to, like, Google what Google did to AltaVista and everybody else 25 years ago? And that 
turn and trying to figure out like where it happened and what it looks like is, I think, why we've come down to these default deals, because ultimately that's the question, right? It's like Google's out here saying there are a million ways to find information on the Internet. And the DOJ is saying like general search, which they keep calling it, is this different thing from what TikTok is and what ChatGPT is. But they have to figure out like, okay, when did Google go from just objectively being the best search engine and so everybody uses it, which is not illegal, to being the best and making sure that no one else can be, which is a much trickier thing than like what Microsoft did, which is just like boot Netscape off the internet. <laughs> and I don't know, it's, it just set us off down this kind of odd path where like it's almost not obvious what everyone is arguing at any given time, right. no matter what side. This general on. search thing is ridiculous. Like the FTC, what, what, they've done a bad job in many of their cases. Like they did the entire Activision trial and forgot to mention cloud gaming. And then they lost. <laughs> and then they were like in the background, like, we're going to appeal on cloud gaming. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the <laughs> argument the whole time here. The DOJ, I think, is getting suckered into this art. Like every antitrust trial comes down to like, what is the market? Yep. Let's have an increasingly esoteric debate about what market is being dominated. And then obviously Google's like the market is the use of computers. And we are but one tiny fraction of why one might compute, sir. Right. right. And then the DOJ is like general search, which means fucking nothing. And the answer is like, no, it's searching the web. Yeah. There are a handful of products that search the web. Yep. People use them all day long. And there's one search engine that matters on the web. To be fair, that is what their definition of general search is, is a thing that searches sources that is not sources beyond one site. On the web. Right. right. But that even that definition is like, it's just it's so not the like if you tried to explain that to a normal person, you'd be like, all right, so there's there are sources beyond one site, right? Like you're like I'm not even going to say the word web to you, and it I, I would just say if you just look at the web today, we've talked about this so many times, it is so obviously influenced by Google's wants and needs mm -hmm. that you can't not say this thing is dominant. It is the only incentive structure that exists on the web, really is Google's wants and needs because that's how people get traffic to their websites. Okay, like just start and the DOJ has just been suckered into this conversation about general search and whether the kids are using TikTok. Right. And like that's totally different. I mean, if Apple changes the default search on the iPhone to be TikTok. Horrible experience. <laughs> right. And it's like, but that's so just generally nonsensical to think yeah. about. The kids love iPhones. The kids love TikTok. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just, just munge them together. <laughs> All these other searches that we're talking about in the category of general search that Google wants you to consider, I would just say come back to the thing at issue, which is the default deals on these platforms, and say, can you replace them? Could you replace the default search on the iPhone with a YouTube search? Yeah. And like, no, basically. You need web search. And I, Google's protection of that web search, well, yeah, there's the data argument that they've been making for a long time. Like everyone's been making. Google has the most data they can do it. But next to it, Addy, are these like vertical search engines like Yelp and these other companies that are like, we're much better in these very specific domains. And we can barely even get to a customer because of Google's yeah. deals. Yeah. Which was a bigger part of the case originally and then got trimmed out of it. And so is not coming up in this as much. Do you think it'll come up later in these 10 weeks? So the Department of Justice is making its case first, and that claim was part of the state attorney general suit that's going to come up later. But it also got cut mostly from that suit. So I think we're not actually going to hear nearly as much about it as we could have, even though those search engines come up. Which is a bummer because that feels like 
the real issue, right? Like the fact that they're doing these exclusivity deals is on its face totally a, like monopoly behavior. But also in this case, Google is actually really good at search. So, of course, like it makes well, no, it's sense. like let's say you ask Siri to find you a plumber. Yeah. Right. In a it, competitive world. Apple goes and makes a deal with Yelp or AngelList or yeah. whatever, right? And they're running that search on a specialized service. Google's deal means, like, that's all going through Google. Oh, okay. Okay. Then, yeah, no, they're a monopoly. Let's get rid of them. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if that's good or Done. bad. Well, but right? also- I'm just saying, but that's that's sort of the, the shape of it. And Addy's right. It's been trimmed out of the suit, although— Well, no, the part that got trimmed out of the suit was not the thing you're describing. It was the idea that when you go to Google itself yeah, yeah. and you're trying to find a thing on Google, Google makes it hard to find these places like Yelp or TripAdvisor or whatever through Google specifically. Um, so that got mostly cut out of the suit. And the judge sort of rightfully was like, well, Google is allowed to do whatever it wants on Google. But there is that vertical search thing. From what I read of the decision, the judge is basically like, I need to see more evidence. We'll get more evidence at trial and I will decide how big of a deal that is. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see what hap- what the states do. But you just look at all of the things Google does. And again, it's instructions to its own people to not talk about doing those things. Ooh, that seems illegal. I mean, I don't think that it is necessarily illegal, but it is de- certainly the kind of thing you can bring up to to say it's shady. Yeah. I mean, that we don't we don't leverage anything is like a very funny thing to say. So, Addy, what's been going on this week? It's just been Google's chief economist, Hal Varian. Have we learned anything in particular? So the first day was after opening statements, Hal Varian, um, who where they really honed in on the idea that we're going to go to the metaphorical tape and look at all of these emails that Google execs have sent about how important scale is and how important data is. And then there were these internal arguments where um, Varian wrote this, uh, did this interview with CNET where he says, look, the argument that that data is like the be all and end all and that Microsoft has to make this deal with Yahoo to get data, that's bogus. And then there was this internal fight where people were just saying, look, that's ridiculous. No, data, obviously. If they had the data we did, we would be, they would be incredible. Like they would be much better than they are now. So there's that. And then this was also where we got a lot of the we at Google, we do not say market share, we say query share, we do not bundle, we do not tie. And then beyond that, we've also um, there's been a behavioral economist that they've brought that the Department of Justice has brought up to emphasize the quote sort of power of defaults. That that's been their first expert witness. He spent a bunch of time on the stand. Um, and so that's been a lot of presentations, both about stuff Google has said internally, which echoes sort of the variant testimony, and just experiments and other data that has been collected elsewhere that just says, in general, people choose defaults. Yeah, and I do think if you wanted to boil this case all the way down to one question, it's the power of defaults. Like, do defaults matter is, in a big way, it seems like what a lot of this is going to hinge on. Because Google's argument is... They matter a little, right? It's why we pay for the defaults. Like Google cannot in any kind of reasonable way say defaults don't matter at all because it pays tens of billions of dollars a year yeah. to be the default. So it's it's like all that is fine and good. But the two arguments it makes is that defaults don't matter that much because people choose Google even when it's hard to or even when there is a fairly level playing field. And because Bing sucks. Because Bing sucks. And also that we only pay to be the default because we're the good, we're the best product. Everybody tells us we're the best product. That's the only thing that matters. The end. There And then the DOJ is out here saying, no, you are the default 
you pay to be the default, so we can't even reasonably start to answer the rest of these questions. Right. And that's what all the like little search engines will tell you. That's what all the failed competitors will tell you is that like we don't even know if we could have beaten Google or tried or caught up. We just there's no runway, there's no way to even get into this space. Right. You just wrote the obituary of Neva. Basically. Yeah, and Neva has already come up a bunch in this trial. And Sridhar Ramaswamy, the CEO of Neva, who used to run the whole ad business at Google, is going to take the stand during this trial. Like that is a key part of the argument is like defaults are so important that because Google pays all this money to be the default, we don't exist. And that's like if the if the DOJ can prove that, it might win. And it's very hard to prove that, it yeah. seems to me. There's also the argument that it's um, that specifically it's not just small search engines. It is uh, Apple that one of the things that hasn't come up really in testimony as much, but was part of the opening statements is that Google has been basically paying Apple to not build a search engine. Yeah. I mean, every year at WWDC, Apple does something that hints at an interest in doing more searches. Yes. Right. And every year, you know, we get the new version of iOS and it's like pull down and now you can type this and this will come up automatically. Or yeah, you can do image search and spotlight can, now. It's like it's right there if you wanted to do it's it. It's right there. And yeah. then every year I, we get some notes from some Googlers are like Apple's coming for us. And it's like, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'm very curious, you know, if, if they do put Tim Cook and Eddie Q and the rest on the stand. We're going to get Eddie Q. We're it's far as I know, not getting Tim Cook. Full Hawaiian shirt Eddie Q on the stand, <laughs> right? It's the, the question I would ask is, look at all this marketing about privacy. Look at all this marketing about not tracking you. And look at the billions of dollars you take from the largest ad tracking thing that has ever existed in human history. How do you square that circle beyond just taking the money? Because I don't think Apple's ever been held to account for this. Certainly people have tried asking, and they're like, people love Google. And that's the end of it. Like Google's available <laughs> in the App Store. The App Store has c- created more economic opportunity for people than ever. And it's like, wh- where did you go? Like, well, <laughs> come one on home. one yeah. place that has already kind of come up is with uh, Mozilla. And Mozilla is another company that says a lot of things about privacy and the open web and believing in the internet and also takes a lot of money from Google every year to be the default search engine in Firefox. And Google's case, and this has actually worked in Google's favor fairly well so far, it seems, is that... Mozilla at one point stopped using Google as its search engine provider, signed a deal with, Addy, was it Yahoo, I think? It was Yahoo. Okay. And then went back to Google for exactly that reason, Alex, (laughs) because that's the face everybody makes when they have to use Yahoo search. And so Google is like, they had choices and they picked Google. Hilariously, the Department of Justice's counter to this is that Yahoo could have been viable, but it was so expensive to beat Google that they had to lard down their service with ads that suddenly made Yahoo search awful. And that's why Yahoo search was <laughs> It's trapped. the Bing sucks argument, right? Like, are all other search engines bad because of Google is such a weird question, but is like kind of core to a lot of this case. Yeah. Like Look. there are no other good search engines. Is it because Google is great or because Google has so aggressively it's defeated everyone? It, it probably is both, right? Like, I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, which is why it's going to be very hard for Google to lose this case, it seems. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, even if they do, you just have to look at Europe, where for over a decade now, the princes and princesses of Europe have shaken their pitchforks at Google and said, we will undo this dominance. Mm-hmm. And the people of Europe have said, down with the king. <laughs> no, no, nay, yeah. good sir. They have Googled for news about that <laughs> we, happening. We shall continue Googling. It, uh, no, absolutely not. French Revolution, the whole thing. <laughs> this is, uh, it's, it's very complicated over in Europe. 
They're still kings, I'm told. <laughs> princes and princesses everywhere. <laughs> Just everywhere. No one knows why. <laughs> My people have run away from them twice. I'm Indian American. Anyway, we're going to cover the hell out of this trial. We're going to figure out how to get into that courtroom basically every day with a series of quill pens uh, and parchment. <laughs> Because that's how the government wants us to cover USV Google. David, could you take the parchment and have it so it like goes out of the room as you write? Oh, that's fine. Oh, that's good. And then that's Addie good. can just be on the other side. <laughs> oh, I like that. OCRing the parchment. My thing is, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in increasingly less technologically advanced devices every day until it's okay. Like until if the I judge come in, is like, fine, bring a Chromebook. If I come in with like an e-ink notebook that I can write on, is that electronics? Like, what are we doing? Are we good? <laughs> if if the, if I'm not touching the screen, it's not drawing any. Bring power. in a remarkable <laughs> too, and just be like, this what? is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So like, fun detail: when you go through the metal detector in the courtroom, you have to take out all your cables. This oh, no. is. Not a fun place to be if you Oof. have as many cables as I do. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Neil, I can never go there. No, I'm not allowed in there. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, we are we're, Again, we're covering the Halidus trial. There's going to be a bunch of big witnesses on the stand. We're going to get as much coverage to you as we can. I think it's a big deal just because no one pays attention to Google search. Like We have been running this series about Google search and what it means and Google turning 25 all year. We'll link it in the show notes. David's Neva pieces in there, our Google Reader pieces in there. We have a bunch of SEO stories coming uh, about the culture of SEO. I think they're going to be really good. And what has been apparent in doing those stories is that Google hates it. <laughs> when you talk about search as anything other than like water. Yep. They're like, what? Search is just the oxygen of the internet. It's just around you at all times. It keeps us all healthy. And it's like, no, this is a business. A business that you ruthlessly protect and instruct your people to never discuss in words that sound ruthless. And I, that gap, I think, is what this trial, even if the government loses, the trial will narrow the gap in the perception of Google search as just a benign thing that happens. Right. In a very, very ruthlessly run business. And I say ruthless, I don't mean that in a negative way. I think Google does a good job of running its business and making a lot of cash on Google search and then funding a bunch of shit. It shuts down two months later. Right. Right. Like that's the engine of Google. It, it's basically its only business and then a little bit of YouTube and then a little bit of Google Cloud. But like it's search that funds a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And Google wants you to think about it as this like inevitable thing that just sort of has to exist the way that it does in order for the yeah. internet to work. Like like you're saying, it's they want you to think it's water and it is like a series of very specific choices that people made in how this thing works. And if nothing else, we're going to learn a lot about the choices. Yeah. And I, and we'll do it with quill pens and parchment if we have to. <laughs> okay. We got to take a break. Addy, stick around. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I need you and Alex to explain what is going on with Unity to me. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. 
ConstantContact.com. Okay, we're back. We're the show is way over. Uh, there's gigantic drama with Unity, though. It has gone completely off the rails. They changed the pricing structure in the middle of the Apple event. Yep. The developers are very mad. It, it's escalated to, like, inappropriate levels. Or right. They canceled events. What is going on here? Okay, so Unity is one of the biggest game engines out there. It's really interesting because Unity is used in, like, most mobile games, a ton of mobile games out there. So Apple's up there saying, we love gaming. Well, they hate Unreal. And meanwhile, this is happening with Unity, which is a big developer for, like, big game engine for iOS. They are raising their prices specifically if you reach, like, if you sell enough product, then you're going to have to start paying them for every download. Every install. Yeah, every install. So Monica and Allison are just going to bankrupt companies every time they <laughs> review new products. Because they install the games on all these phones that they review. Right. So, so basically, they, they've, they've walked some of it back. But if you're making, I think, if you're a, a smaller developer and you're making like over 200000 a year from your game, you're going to have to start paying these fees. And if you're a larger developer, and I think it's over a million a year, you're going to have to start paying these fees. And these fees, like, are fairly small. What is the argument for per install fees? Money. But, like, certainly, has Unity made any argument? That's no, like- this, that's part of the frustration here. The frustration is less about the money being asked for because a, a lot of the developers are like, yeah, if this is a cost of doing business, that's a cost of doing business. This was communicated to us in the worst way possible. In the middle of, an, like, a big Apple event, it gets communicated. Um, there was no prep. Usually they'll go to, like, bigger developers and be like, hey, we're thinking about charging you more money. None of that happened in this case. And and Unity is really like digging in on this. Every single time we'd get another thing, we'd get uh, another report from a game developer saying, oh, we're going to just delete our game rather than have to pay this, which is what the Cult of Lamb developers said. I think they're still going to keep their game up, but and there are a couple of really specific big problems too. the first being that it's not even necessarily clear how they track installs. That they're basically saying, yeah, we have this model. It's totally data compliant with data regulations, totally not privacy invading, also totally accurate. And also <laughs> it totally won't if somebody decides they hate you and they want to run a giant like root install bombing campaign to drive up your costs. It will also totally not include that. But no one has really figured out exactly what that means. And second, that installs are just not a thing that inherently makes developers money. So they're charging for this thing that doesn't actually tie directly to revenue. Right. And that's what that's what's got people pissed is this thing is just feels really, really egregious to them. It feels like it came on really, really quickly. And there's zero communication. Unity's just saying, yeah, we know you pay us every year to use our engine. Now you have to pay us more. Oh, you've had this game you developed on this engine for the last 10 years. We'll either learn a new engine or cough up the cash. And that just feels like extortion. It's not legally extortion, but it sure feels like it to developers. How real do you think the threat is from all these developers who are saying basically we'll leave Unity Ash instead of pay these fees? looking into that. I think it's for a lot of them, it's not realistic. If you've got I mean, a it's lot gotta of these, be a gigantic amount of work. It's an, a right? huge okay. amount of work. So, so for most of them, it's probably not realistic. But mo- a lot of them are saying, well, I'm never going to develop in Unity again, and sure. I'll probably pull those games, yeah, right? Life like, is long. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're a big developer, you can afford to pull a game that's made you a little money and you don't want to pay anymore and go off and do something else. So it's kind of wild that Unity 
did this. Mm -hmm. And the theories are everybody's got a theory on why they did it. The most common one is they like money, which is fair. Um, a lot of people think it might be because of Genshin Impact, which is huge on mobile and makes a lot of money. And and Unity would like some of that. And has been money. established. Allison Johnson downloads 650 times a year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah. So here's here's a question I have. So you, you mentioned the iPhone. Addy, Apple's pushing into spatial computing with the Vision Pro. They basically need game engines to make a bunch of Vision Pro and stuff. And Unity is core to that. Like right. Unity, Unity is, is a big deal in that world. It's big and with meta. Apple hates Epic, which makes the big competitor, right? Like Unreal is not going to show up on Apple platforms as the alternative to Unity, right? Anytime well, soon. They're different engines. Like Unity is better for Monument and Valley and, and smaller games like that. It's graphically intensive, but it's not like that photorealism. You don't see that as often in Unity games as you do in Unreal, which makes sense because that's also less like taxing to the processor, which is one of the reasons Unity is so popular yeah. with Meta. Also but because deals were made and stuff like that. But it's still one of the relatively you have fewer options for developing 3D and spatial games mm -hmm. than you do for developing 2D games. And Unity is definitely one of the huge 3D options because yeah. there are plenty of games that are 3D but not photorealistic, including a lot of like VR games. Right. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, is is in the midst of all of this, just turning the screw one time, you've covered VR more than anybody that I've ever met. This has some huge impact on how Apple's relationship to developers is going to go as they roll out the Vision Pro, right? Like, if all the developers are mad at the main engine, where else are they going to go? It's a very good question. And it's partly a question Ash is actually doing reporting on right now. Like, there are alternatives that you can use. One of them is Godot, which is an open source engine, which is very tiny <laughs> uh, and is very hard. But yeah, it's... It's a good question whether that's a thing that makes Unity feel like it can flex. Right. That's kind of what I'm wondering. Like, where is this leverage coming from? Like, if you're like, we're going to piss off everyone, usually it's because you can't. Like, you're Reddit. I was just going to say this right? is what Reddit did. Reddit's like, we need more money. We're going to piss off everyone. And but where are you going to go? Yeah. And they just waited. And it's some parts of Reddit are still just a mess. But they just waited. And it's fine. Because where are you going to go? Who's the competitor? And it... There's just an echo of that in this Unity conversation, um, especially as it relates to iOS, because the thing that is the natural competitor is at such odds with Apple at the corporate level. Yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see how Apple responds to this over the next few weeks, because it happened in the middle of their event. Like, Yeah, I wonder if Apple just, even knew. As right. Apple was talking so much about mobile gaming. Yeah, it's just it feels like, like I don't think Apple new or that probably wouldn't have happened and that way. It's also not particularly good for Apple. Like, it's not great for Apple if one of the bottlenecks for their platform is suddenly taking a big fee from developers that Apple doesn't see part of. Yep. Yeah, only Apple gets to take fees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Apple doesn't like money changing hands if it doesn't take 30% yeah. out of that money. All right, well, we're going to keep covering it. it. Sounds like Ash has a lot of reporting in the works. We'll put that on the site. Uh, it's a big deal. Like, Unity canceled events. There were death threats yeah. over this stuff. Yeah. Uh, which, again, I will point out is inappropriate. Don't but do that. So it goes. That's, that's life on the internet for you. There's much of stuff on the site that isn't Apple or the Google trial. Bose just in, overhauled its entire lineup of headphones. The Spectre Fold is out, which is a foldable 17-inch PC, which is a very cool monocle. Weird laptops. That. I love a weird laptop. And uh, the workers of the big three automakers are on strike this week, which Andy wrote about. Just, and a million new video games. And a million new video games. Nintendo Direct and the Sony State of Play were this yep. week as well. On top of that, it continues to be September. Just relentlessly September. Oh. That's the name of my new album. <laughs> relentlessly September by Neil Patel. It's, uh, 
It's avant-garde, but I think you'll like it. We've got a bunch of events coming up. The Code Conference is at the end of this month. Uh, here's the news. Virtual tickets for the Code Conference are now on sale. All the main tickets are sold out. So you can, if you want to watch the Code Conference, go to voxmedia.com slash code. And you can sign up for a virtual ticket and stream the thing. Mike Krieger from Artifact is coming. He's ex-CTO of Instagram, now the co-founder of Artifact, the news app. David just wrote about it. They, they rolled out links. Yeah. They want to be like the the place to share cool stuff on the internet. Because Twitter used to be that, and now Twitter's dead. And we, we love that. So uh, Casey's going to talk to Mike about that. And then, I don't know if you've been paying attention to a little company called Disney. Uh, <laughs> lots of weirdness in Disney World. In, lots of Liz, Disney World. Mm. Oh. Lots of weirdness. And- Mickey Mouse is coming to code. <laughs> <laughs> Disney, Bob Iger has been hinting that he might sell ABC, get rid of a bunch of stuff, partner with ESPN, all this stuff. Uh, Byron Allen, who is the owner of the company that owns the Weather Channel, we invited him because they're doing a bunch of AI stuff on the Weather Channel, climate change, AI, whole thing. Uh, turns out he wants to buy ABC for $10 billion. It's like him and Nexstar. Yeah. So both of them are, are smaller companies. They're less known for for. Being Disney, they're not Disney, but it's a big deal. Yeah. So uh, Julia Worsen's going to interview Byron Allen about well, what we thought was going to be about using AI. To now help it's pe- all help ABC. people in local communities deal with climate change. But now we're going to talk about whether or not he's going to buy ABC. There's a bunch of other great speakers. I'm excited about it. Also, next week we have Microsoft event and an Amazon event. Yeah. Because this just does not stop. And there's a YouTube event. And a YouTube event. Oh, wow. Yeah, the yeah. Made by YouTube. There's a calendar. We'll put it in the show notes. We, we made a calendar so you can just s- subscribe to it and then you can follow all the events with us. It's going to be a crazy month. We're excited about it. Okay, that's it. That's the Vergecast. We've gone far over. You're looking at me expectantly. No, we're, we're just... We're, we're just vibing. Liam is looking at me expectantly. So oh, I, have to I look see. At you you're, you're, it's like a tetraprism <laughs> of glares. That's it. That's the Rock and roll. And that's a wrap for Vergecast this week. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecast at theverge.com. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. That's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.